Hey, everybody. Got Brian Seeley here today. It's an amazing guest. My man has actually wiretapped the FBI. We get into some crazy conversations today. You don't want to miss it. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett. I am in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers barber chair. And more importantly, have an amazing guest with us today, a new friend of mine, Brian Seeley, the world-famous cybersecurity expert, ethical hacker, former Marine, and in 2014, became the only person ever to wiretap the United States Secret Service and FBI. Oh my gosh, we are going to have some fun today. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me, Dallas. Just FYI, do not recommend don't wiretap any federal agencies without <laughs> their permission. It's like, I feel like it shouldn't have to be said as sort of a disclaimer, but people are like, Oh, so like we can now? We can just do that? It's open season. <laughs> Although they did lose a bunch of text messages recently. So maybe I was just early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Maybe if I had been paying attention later, we would have them all. I don't know. I think it's awesome. And I think your story is just incredible. What I want to do is I want to start by letting our listeners kind of get to know you because you've got an interesting background. You described, first of all, number one, you grew up in Japan. So I want to, I want you to talk about that. But then you described your kind of your path is like running through a dark room. So tell us, or a maze, you described as a dark maze. So tell us kind of your backstory of how, what it was like going from Japan, growing up there, and then maybe how you got into to being a Marine. And then we'll go, we'll jump into the other stuff. I was born in Tokyo. My parents were Christian missionaries, lived in a missionary community, went to a private Christian school. They went to the same uh, high school, middle school, elementary, private school that I did. So both of my grandparents, sets of grandparents, were missionaries to Japan after World War II. One was in the Army Air Corps and before it became the Air Force in, I think, 1953. He served in China, got us, I think he got a bronze star. But we didn't even find out until he died. The whole family grows up in Japan. My dad's 67. He's lived in Japan almost 50 years total. He lives here in the U.S. now. But I lived there for most of my childhood, graduated high school, went to college, immediately took up drinking like a full-time job, and did not do well on sort of an independent freedom Hey, you're on your own. Let's see if you make it. Did not make it. <laughs> Parents are in Japan and you're at college. So, you know, that's a tough transition. I went to Michigan. It's cold there. And I went to a really small town and I'm used to the biggest city in the world of 30 million. And then I went to a city of 30,000 and there's like no mass transit. 
And if you go outside in January for 30 seconds to smoke a cigarette, you'll die. People just quit smoking. Yeah. <laughs> like it's that cold <laughs> in central Michigan. It's ridiculous. I didn't know anybody. Like I was just, I wasn't making plans for future. And this comes into play later in life where I figured out I was severe ADHD. I joined the Marine Corps at 19, right after 9-11. And I was in Japan. But I had bailed out of college, went back to Japan. In downtown Tokyo with two friends of mine, towers hit. Everyone in Tokyo who's a foreigner is like on alert, finding bars, finding restaurants, turning on TVs. The Suddenly the whole world is like, oh, you're American? Oh my God, we're so sorry. And like, it was really interesting to see. It was like, what people describe 9-11 was like how everyone was on 9-12, just this community of helping and togetherness before we got all bomby and yeah. <laughs> kill everybody. Well, that's an amazing experience because, you know, we talk to people that have that experience of where were you here in the States, but then you're over on the other side of the planet. I was out drinking in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> but to have that same, almost the same experience just being over on the other side of the planet is fascinating and how they responded in the same way to you. So that was September. I was enlisted and went to boot camp in May. Not a long turnaround. You're ready to go. Is that the reason? Is that kind of the driving reason for you that you did it at 19? Was that the reason or one of the reasons? When you've already failed out of college in your first year and you don't have any credits, but you took a bunch of classes and it's not like they were particularly difficult. It was difficult to like just be alive, wake up on time, which then turns out I got discharged from the Marine Corps for narcolepsy. Not the kind where you randomly fall asleep, but it's called type one, where you have excessive daytime sleepiness, which basically means I'm always tired. It's a superpower when I'm traveling. Like when my girlfriend at the time and I, we were flying to Sydney in 2018 and it's a 17 hour flight and I slept the whole way <laughs> and she was pissed. <laughs> Can't win. I didn't bother her once and, but I wasn't there to entertain her. I am not your wind up monkey <laughs> on the plane. You should have brought a, you have an iPod, you have a, you have a tablet. They're way better and you're not disappointed in them. I slept. I left you alone. Nope. Can't win. Woke up refreshed 17 hours later in, uh, in Sydney. You're ready to go. That's hilarious. So I've gotten to the Marines as a linguist, got out for narcolepsy, couldn't figure out my bearings, kind of developed a drug problem after contracting in Iraq for a year and a half between Iraq, Kuwait. I got a lot of cool opportunities to work out there with security forces and different projects and Look cool, wear a bulletproof vest, explosions going around, people getting shot. You know, it's not one of those like, oh, yeah, I remember the good old days when everyone was getting, yeah, <laughs> that was nice. No, it's not like that. Oh, my goodness. So didn't deal with that. That turned into alcohol and drugs. In that transition, you're going from Japan to military, back home, moving to Seattle. What point in time did you really start? finding or, or discovering your kind of knack or love for IT? Or is it just something that was natural to you? In middle school, I want to say seventh or eighth grade, I was starting to get paid to help people with setting up their computers. Really? 
I was always interested in the gaming and breaking stuff and playing with the computers, but I didn't do anything security related until well after all of that. So 2013, I was at what I thought was bottom. I was wrong. I got diagnosed ADHD at 30 years old. And it immediately went from not reading books, not being able to pay attention to things, not even being able to reliably brush my teeth or create new habits to writing a book, getting into security, figuring out, oh, I see patterns or I see things differently than some people or I look at this and I've got a little bit of a rebellious streak, maybe a little bit of mischievous, but that's very on brand for the hacker and cybersecurity community. Right. I would say, yeah, that's par for the course, as they say. Yeah, I could see that. The South has a bit of that. It's the rebel, a little bit of a rebel in us, a little defiant, a little bit of the, you know what? I'm not going to listen to everything you tell me. I'm going to have to take some of it with a grain of salt. Just because you said so doesn't mean it's true. So let's talk about this. When you kind of discovered this talent that you have in terms of seeing things a little differently, I mean, you got to kind of give us an idea of what you're thinking. I mean, did you, you like wake up one day and you go like, today's the day. I'm doing it today. I am wiretapping. Or did this kind of just kind of come? No, 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 no. I mean, I was making dumb choices every day. This just (laughs) happened to be a different, this just happened to be a different vein. It was like I had been working for somebody years prior on Google Maps, building out business listings and doing SEO and online optimization and local business marketing. And there's all these cool buzzwords that sort of legitimize an industry that's designed to trick consumers. So if you go to Bing Maps, I can actually, I haven't done this in a long time, and you type in Locksmith Redmond, Washington, you get quite a lot of results. Locksmith Connections Redmond, Locksmith Redmond, Kimi Locksmiths, Locksmith, 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 Full Service Locksmith. There are less than a hundred licensed locksmiths in the state of Washington. There are more than a hundred businesses in Redmond, Washington alone on Bing Maps that are locksmiths. That seems odd. (laughs) That doesn't seem accurate. That sure does, doesn't it? Something's wrong. The idea is if you can get the top 10 to all be fake and all the phone numbers forward to you, you can dominate and take all the phone calls for all the locksmith jobs. And it's very, very low parts, very, very high labor cost. Because you're in an emergency, you want to get into your car, chances are you need to drive it, maybe there's a baby in it. Your day's not going good if you're calling a locksmith. So they're going to make you pay through the nose. So let me get this straight. So what you're saying is, is that you go online and you create you know, a hundred virtual businesses, load them into the map so that those listings just push out anyone else so that any of those 100 or let's say not even a hundred, let's say 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 companies that you call, those numbers all go to one location. That guy gets it and he gets all the calls in the area. It's one guy who made his own 10, 20, 30 and fake reviews. And they're all in the city all over. And so he's got like all of Scottsdale and every, you know, mile and a half, he's got another business at like every UPS store, whatever. 
it's a company that builds 3,000 across the entire country, and they have all the calls going to a call center, and they sell the calls for a certain amount of money to the client. And the client then goes, how do we pay you? And they're like, here's all the recordings we have of all the calls we forwarded to you. Pay us up or we're going to send it to your competitors. Now, what's really happening is the local business owners, we're going to get those phone calls in the first place. Because if you were in number one spot and your friend is in the second and you guys got pushed down to 11 and 12, you're now buying back your business out of markup from scammers. And this is for every industry that has a business service that goes to the client, not the other way around. Like a landscaper. That's a guy and a truck. That's it. And an echo blower and a mower and three guys in the cab. And they come and mow your lawn. You don't know where their office is. They don't have one. Pool cleaner, same thing. Carpet cleaner, steam cleaner, handyman. And it's not just Bing, Google Maps, Yahoo Maps, when Yahoo was still a thing. Now Yahoo's MySpace and... (laughs) What? (laughs) Record players. Yeah. (laughs) They've gone the way of record players. I just turned 40 and my daughter is 13 and she owns at least a dozen records and a record player. I have never once used a record or a record player in my entire life. That is incredible. That's like a mind bender. (laughs) I started with cassette tapes, then CDs, then MP3 players. And she's like, I want records. Like, nerd. Like, yeah, she's a purist, man. She's got to hear the crackle. We're in Seattle. She's wearing flannel. (laughs) Flannel and grunge was around for around the same time as the Confederacy, like three or four years. (laughs) And how is it still everywhere? Unbelievable. I love it. Can't rewind the records either. It's so inconvenient. (laughs) (laughs) So you find this problem inside of Google Maps being all of these maps that are kind of... Initially part of the problem, unknowingly. Found out I was part of it. Quit. Go back a couple years later to see if it's better. Oh, no. It's worse. Did a story with a news organization here. Fake business listings. And they called it map jacking, which was like a producer going, we need to come up with something catchy. And some guy goes, map jacking. He goes, that's the dumbest crap I've ever heard, but we don't have anything else. Let's put that on. We don't have anything better. <laughs> so you find that out, do the story. And then nothing really changes and Google doesn't really give a crap. I built some funny business listings all over Google. Made a business in North Korea at a concentration camp. It was a South Park joke, amusement park, super mega fun time, <laughs> happy land. <laughs> I made the Russian embassy in London a gay bar. <laughs> oh, no. You have a way with business names and types in certain places. Oh, And I know the Westboro Baptist Church is fairly litigious, so I changed their name to not the Westboro Baptist Church Adult Toy Sex Dungeon. Oh, no. So... Wait a minute. You said you changed their name. Yeah, I was able to manipulate business listings on Google Live. People could see it. So I put Edward Snowden's secret hiding place and I put it on the White House lawn and they filmed it (laughs) on the news. They're like, and then I changed the Library of Congress to the Zoolander School of Kids Who Can't Read Good. 
<laughs> and so if you went on Google and you're like, Library of Congress, it would be like Zoolander School of Kids Who Can't Read Good. Oh, and I mean, and you got nobody was calling you out at this point. The lot you didn't get a call from the Library of Congress. They they don't even know what's going on. They don't. Did they even have the internet at this time? There, it's just Google. It was just on Google Maps. It's not like the front of their building changed. It's just this digital website. But everyone expects certain amounts of reliability from certain sites. And Google now with the market share, it's become a verb. I'm going to Google it. Not just it's Google.com. It's the same way people don't want you to say um, Photoshop it. They say, please use Adobe Photoshop genuine photo editing software. Be like, who's going to do that? Photoshop it. Everyone uses it as a source of information and authority. And if I go and say, is Dick Cheney an alien? And some article pops up that goes, I've seen it. He's an alien for sure. Top three results. Someone's going to go, yep, I knew it it the whole time. That shifty, (laughs) that shifty feller. And you trust what the results are. So if you get a phone number for a business, you call it, a guy shows up, fixes your lock. Where's the scam? Oh, he's price gouging you. And then there's horror stories of people going on vacation. They rekey their house and the guy finds out they're going on vacation, they come back, and the business listing is gone. The phone number is dead because it was a virtual number, and their house is empty. So my thought was, I made all these funny listings. The Mormon temple became a comedy club. Well, at least you were even across the board. You know, you just, everybody. Oh, yeah, you know, no, I didn't was, discriminate yeah. <laughs> anyone in particular. Like, Oh, man. Everybody got a little. Did Google then all of a sudden decide they, it was time to start addressing this issue or they still, they still didn't address? Well, they've been addressing the spam issue for a really long time in their way, which is we don't talk about it publicly because we're not accountable to you. We're a private company. They're protected by the DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, that protects content from being liable for what independent third parties publish on their platform. So if I call you a bad name on Twitter, Twitter can't get sued for liability for me committing a hate crime against people with goatees yeah, or whatever the thing is. <laughs> like you and me, we're independent thing and, and, and Twitter's fine. They handle it the way they handle it. They're taking down spam, but they don't. There's a lot of people who think they could do better. I was one of them. The way I went about it was maybe a little childish, (laughs) but I wasn't done yet. Yeah. (laughs) You had more to give. You had more to give. I really did. I'm a giver. (laughs) I can't just keep all this to myself. It's meant to be shared with the world. Yes. (laughs) I thought to myself, well, what, what could I do that would be more serious? Like I could change the number on a law firm for their main number to be my number and forward to their number and all the inbound calls. Oh, man. You see where this is going? And that's kind of where it goes. I may I might have made one in the Secret Service in D.C. in the exact same spot as the real one and then flagged theirs as spam by a bunch of different fake IP addresses. So then that disappeared. And then all of a sudden, my listing is the default. And then phone calls came in and they were starting to show up in my marketing ring central type phone platform. And I could hear 
the ringing and then the answering and the people talking. And then I realized I'm going to go to jail forever. I should have known better. I really should have thought this through. And that's where the whole running through a maze in the dark at full speed, wondering why I keep breaking my nose. That's where that analogy comes from. (laughs) Maybe put your hands out, idiot. Maybe turn the lights on. Maybe don't run. No, full speed. Right in. Yeah, full, full tilt. So what you were doing, just so I'm clear, is that you created a listing for the Secret Service on Google, and then you flagged them, the actual listing. They got removed. So there was a number that you put on there, but then were you forwarding that number onto the real one and just... Yeah, to their switchboard number, yeah. Oh, oh. so if you're calling in, you actually get... And here's the worst part. The UI on an iPhone or an Android wouldn't actually show you the number when you pull up a business listing. It just says call website directions because the phone numbers are too long and it makes it look weird. So they save space and just give you a call button because who's checking the number? Who cares what the number is? Who's checking the number? Just hit call. It was the wrong area code. You could have been able to see it easily. Oh. And like I listened to two calls before I realized... I think burlap is really itchy. And if you're in like a bag of burlap in the back of a Crown Vic. It's probably not a good look for you. Pushed off a bridge. I don't want to drown in burlap or end up in Guantanamo and not be with the Marines guarding the prisoners because orange, not my color. It washes me out completely. So at this point in time, you've been running through the maze in the dark and and your nose is bleeding now from running the walls. You have realized after a couple of calls, I have been successful in my endeavor, but that success. Simultaneously, the FBI in San Francisco. Oh, wow. You didn't just do one. I mean, what's better than one? Two, because I was watching The Rock with Nick Cage, because why not? And so then San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) And I was at a play area with my daughter at a McDonald's when I finally ended up configuring everything. And she's running through the thing. And she's just like, look, Daddy. I'm like, hey, look, kid, I'm going to jail. (laughs) It's I wanted to prove that I was right more than logic and reason should have stopped me and go, maybe you do it a different way. Maybe you don't risk going to jail forever. So if someone happens to find out. Oh, yeah. It's like five years per call. And I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to live that long. Even just with my dating history, I'll get stabbed way before 200 comes. (laughs) So what did you do at that point? Did you just what happened? I called some friends who were in the Marines with me or people that I knew. One was a local cop. One was an FBI agent. Another guy was like, hey, so you're going to you're going to laugh after you get mad at me. But I need your help. And I tell them. So then they yelled at me. And then I said, I'm going to the I called the FBI and they hung up on me. They did. After about five minutes. Well, I mean, you told them you tell me what this sounds like. Hello, FBI. I was able to wiretap some of the calls between people calling into your office using my computer. And I'm a magic wizard sorcerer, tinfoil hat crazy person. (laughs) You tell me what they're going to do. They're like, oh, yeah, we got your number. We will give you a call back. Yep, yep, we got it. All under control. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Click, click. 
So I knew I needed to go in. I told a friend, I was like, he's like, you need to go freaking tell him. So I walked into the Secret Service office the next day. It's a little room, 20 by 20, three or four chairs, door, biometric panel, and then bulletproof glass with like some like almost like the bank teller thing. And I ring a buzzer. Guys come out. I said I did what I did. And they showed me the article that they had printed out already. They had already printed it out from the previous day because they don't like Edward Snowden's secret hiding place pranks on the White House lawn. <laughs> so they knew who you were. Yes. Yeah. They knew of me <laughs> and not like, hey, this guy's awesome. It was more like, this guy's a nuisance. I wonder where he is. Oh, look, he just walked in. <laughs> That'll save us some trouble. <laughs> Your timing is impeccable. Impeccable. <laughs> 15 minutes explaining. Three agents, all in suits, and they tell me I can leave. Didn't believe me. They didn't believe you. They were dismissive, sort of like, all right, we, will, uh, we have your information. We'll reach out if we have any questions. And I've been married, so I know when I'm being ignored and just sort of passed off. And I'm like, all right, I'll tell you what, you take your cell phone. And call the Secret Service in D.C. right now. And I'll prove it. And they said, okay. So the agent made the call, who's in charge of the investigation. It doesn't help that his name is also Brian. So Brian Smith, he picks up his phone. And I'm hoping, like David Blaine or something, like you have to do it a certain way or it's not going to work. I'm hoping because it's an Android and probably not an iPhone, because the adoption rate at that point was different. He was going to go to Google. He was going to type in four words in two different possible orders. Secret, service, Washington, D.C., or Washington, D.C., Secret Service. Either way, my results at top, he pushes call, phone to ear. Yep. Hey, no, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is Brian in Seattle. Yeah, and no, I'm just following up on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, man. No, yep, talk to you later. He had a rapport. Like, this person is somebody he knew prior to this call. Ding, ding, ding. Phone gets a little notification. You've received a new marketing inbound lead. Would you like to listen to your quality assurance recording? Play, speaker. Ta-da. And now the other two agents and me, we could all hear the ringing. And we hear the other guy go, secret service. And they're all so cool when they say it, too. Like, it's not like secret service. <laughs> it's just... Secret Service. And the guy, and then we heard both people talking. And then all three of them lost their sense of humor completely. And then I lost all my stuff. And they handed me a form with my Miranda rights on it. But they said, you're not under arrest. You're not being detained. And the smart acid me that's watched a bunch of stupid YouTube videos goes, so I'm free to go? <laughs> no. Apparently, I was not being encouraged to go. They wanted me to fill them in, as I said I would. Wasn't planning on leaving at that point. I don't think I could outrun them to the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> so let me get this straight. They gave you Miranda rights. They said, oh, but don't worry. You're not being detained. But it's just kind of like we're actually, you know, we're radioing the door. <laughs> we want further explanation to be able to make a better choice. The guest suite is right this way, sir. Oh, my goodness. Now, see, the fact that you go in, you tell them, and then 
they are going to let you go because they don't believe you. So at this point, you're scot free, and you're. It's almost like you're insulted <laughs> that they don't respect. It's like I'm just looking for the respect, boys. You got to respect. So then you double down. You actually get the call. They come back, and now you've got your rights right in front of them. I performed a magic trick, essentially, to them right in front of them, going. Freaking told you, and you'd be like, and then you're, and this is what we're gonna do. This is how you're gonna. Okay, I see how it is. Can't do anything nice for people. I think that's definitely. I think it's David Blaine territory to me. Like I, I mean, so if you need to hear from anybody, you hear from me. That's definitely David Blaine territory for me. He has done some insane things, but not even him. He hasn't done anything that dumb. (laughs) Ice for an hour underwater for twenty minutes. Like nails through his arm, wait patiently for some crazy <laughs> stunt, but he's, you know, not risking going to jail for the rest of his life because he's got to prove something's wrong on the Internet. So then you spend some time with the uh, agents at the FBI, I'm assuming, after that? Yeah, four hours. I told one agent how I did it, and I showed him how the process went with my laptop. And uh, I had to use the Internet on my phone because they wouldn't let me on their Wi-Fi. <laughs> and then... Get sweet. There's no hotel wife. Come on. (laughs) I'm the one that came to you and tried to tell you. I told him, you would have had nothing. I tell them. And another one comes in. And now we're getting bored because I've told and demonstrated three, four, five times. And I know that they do this to make sure the story's straight. It's like I've got a recording of this and it's a keystroke. And like you just watched it happen and like... Well, you said he was a black guy and now he's a white guy. Like, how's that different? It's like, there's just the computer's still here. You saw it. It's on camera. I came to you. Like, give me some courtesy here. I know you have donuts. Give me a donut. They started calling Google and yelling at them, saying, He's been telling you. All I know is they shut down new maps registrations for like two months. And then eventually they had to get rid of an entire product called Google Map Maker. So I'm the reason you can't have nice things. Wow. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. ThinkMove Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people Build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. At about hour three, I remember distinctly this thought in the head where it's like, you should say this. I mean, I don't want that's a dumb thing to say. Like, hey, can I see your gun? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, he's got a gun. I want to see your gun. Just take the bullets out. You could have brought bullets. Well, you searched me. Are you just not good at searching people? 
He gets up and leaves. You said this. And like, if I was going to hit you with something like an empty gun, I would just pick up my chair and use that. This is way worse. <laughs> oh, man. Female agent comes in. Other guy's still there. She leaves. It's like, can you give me her number? Kind of cute. Like, dig the whole vibe. No. At least I'm going to entertain myself on my way to jail. But this isn't going to be the reason that I'm going to prison. That's not going to be it. Oh, man. No criminal intent. And they let me go with a very stern warning and marching orders of like, you know, you can't ever do anything like this again. And like at all. Right. Like, yes, sir. I'm good with that. I've gotten Google's attention. I think we're good now. All nine lives. All nine lives. Here, yeah. <laughs> Here you go. I'm pushing it all the middle of the table. Here we go. Ah, oh, that's incredible. So you've been in tech and in security for a long time. And obviously you've got a knack for it because, well, you know, you did what you did, which is a pretty amazing story and lived to tell about it. We're actually having this conversation. But it gave me a TED Talk. Gave you a TED Talk. That's amazing. And that's when I figured out I'm not really that nervous talking to people on a stage. And I had tried stand-up comedy prior to that a few times, did open mics, and like I wanted to be famous for being stand-up comedian, not a hacker. Like It went a totally different direction. Now it's not like I can go just do that now. Not good-looking enough to be an actor, not funny enough to be a comic, but definitely a big enough screw-up to wiretap federal agencies. It led me to this career, and now I can use that to actually educate people and help make it more interesting than the typical cybersecurity speaker. So let's talk about this. If you were going to educate, you know, just the general public and just some tips, because obviously you're in the industry, if you were going to educate some people right now that's trying to do, do right and live well with the tech that we have at our disposal, what kind of recommendations from security standpoint or from a habit standpoint, what would you recommend on based on what you're seeing? I mean, you hear you know, global you know, things on the news all the time about China, about Russia. You hear things about stealing your identity or your privacy. For the average American who's trying to do right, what is the, maybe a couple things that they should be doing that they're not or they're doing that they shouldn't? If you can, shop online with a credit card. Get a secured credit card or you can get a virtual credit card with privacy.com. It's a way of saying, okay, I'm not going to shop with my debit Visa logo debit card tied to my checking account. Keep all your money in your savings that's not tied to a card. And then if you need to spend it, you transfer a bid into the checking. You can go and spend it. Or you shop with a credit card, which then you're not liable for fraudulent purchases. You're protected to some degree with a debit card, but that could be your rent money. Most average Americans I know, myself included, don't just have piles of money sitting around going, well, they got 10 grand for me. I'll just have to go find my other stack of 10 grand and we'll solve this first thing in the morning. That's not how it works. Paycheck to paycheck sucks. So shop with a credit card and pay it off. Use the option for when you log in and it says your username, put in your password, and then it gives you a security option to say, okay, your phone number, we're going to text you to confirm that it's you. The text message option is the least secure option. It can be hacked often and fairly easily because they want to get that 
code to be able to get into your digital cryptocurrency, to be able to steal Bitcoin. Everything online is valuable to some degree. Your Gmail account is worth money. You might not think so, but it is. It could be $5, it could be 500 depending on how many services you have. It depends on if you have a credit card associated with it. It depends on how active or how old it is. It depends on, do you have a Steam account? People will buy stolen stuff online because it has a username that they're fond of, or it has a whole bunch of gear that they want, and they can loot your stuff and then transfer it to somewhere else, and like you're kind of left holding an empty bag. Password managers, great idea. Don't use the same password on Gmail as you do on Facebook. Because here's the problem. The tendency is everybody uses the same one for all of them. Like There are websites that get breached. It's so then the usernames and passwords all get leaked and they get collected by people. And then they have a list of all the passwords that every person in all those breaches have been used. And now there's billions and billions of password variations and iterations that can then now be tried against all of these possibilities. And they'll notice who's using the same password on the same site. So they go, Brian Seeley at Facebook.com. Oh, look, he uses the same one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I wonder if he uses that on his luggage. It's the same thing over and over. They can log in and get access and take your whole life over. So don't do it. People are going to hear it and they're going to go, that sounds serious. And then they're just not going to do anything about it because they got other stuff to do. That's amazing, though, this, the level of sophistication on like the dark web and essentially is somebody's not just looking. It's not like a website gets breached and they get a email and a password and they go. It's like they're, they're looking at that on a thread and they're seeing they're actually comparing. No one's targeting the average individual one-on-one. Like, there's not a hacker trying to get you. It's a hacker accessing or going after millions of people at the same time because it's the internet. If you're on the internet, it's like being able to try every doorknob and every house that has a street connected to it at the same time with no lag. Well, that's great advice. Now, I want to pivot a little bit because before the show, we got to talk about this some, and I think it's really valuable for the listeners as well. You actually talked about how you had used your IT skills for in a certain way that got you that landed you at the FBI. Still got the result you were actually looking for. So that's pretty amazing. But then there was another time after that that you have had to use your skills to help a family member. Tell us about that story with your daughter and, and how that kind of shook out because that is even more amazing. Every Thanksgiving, I have to fix a printer. (laughs) Every time I go to a family member's house, I'm fixing something. Six year, yeah. So I became a foster parent to my stepkid. Her boyfriend was not the greatest dude in the world. And there was drug usage. And she ended up being trafficked for about five or six weeks. With the help of tech community, the hacker community, I was able to help the FBI's commercially exploited minor task force locate her. I basically found her before everyone else did. And they did a health and welfare, got her out, got her into rehab. But that was a a little too traumatic for me with my given skill set at the time. Like if you run over my foot, I can probably handle the mental stress from that. But 
everything around that. Yeah, it's just too much. Nightmares, just constant mental and psychological and physical problems that kind of came out of it. Ended up attempting suicide six months later and having to put my kids in foster care, going to the VA psych ward, putting my life together back afterwards. And that was five years ago. In the psych ward, getting out around the 15th of August, five years ago. When you went through that, it's amazing because you were doing so much to help her. But then that process actually caused kind of like amazing trauma in your own life. I mean, when you came out of that and when you're looking at, you know, coming back and... Oh, I was not equipped whatsoever to be able to deal with that. Like, didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to see a therapist. Didn't want to just deal with it. To some degree, you don't want to just sit around and cry and have grief about that issue or an issue. As men, we're not exactly encouraged to do that. It's a very human emotion. I mean, it's wired into who we are. So it's not a weakness. You get hit in the head with a sledgehammer and you're not crying. Something's very wrong. So the idea is I needed to learn how to deal with mental stress better. It got to the point where I didn't know how to ask for help. Didn't know where to go. Didn't know who to turn to. All screwed up in the head and had to kind of relearn who I was and how to function as an adult and started seeing a therapist. And that opened my eyes. And she taught me about, uh, she's like, you need to watch Brené Brown. And I was very open to suggestion with my therapist. She told me to go do something try this, go here, went to 12-step meetings in recovery. Someone from recovery drove me to the psych ward. My whole, I guess what I would consider family is within the recovery community who have continued to show up now, five years later. I can pretend it didn't happen. People don't want to keep secrets, especially if it's something that hurts. And if you share it with somebody out loud, it takes power out of whatever that thing is that is killing you. That's why telling a therapist makes it better, even though nothing actually changed. I have mental struggles. Politics bothers people. And then those people bother me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think that's so, I think that's such a good perspective because we live in the age of information and it's a blessing and a curse. But then there's so much static out there. There's so much static and it's almost like, It's almost like some people really just want the attention. And so then all of a sudden, all this energy goes into figuring out what is true. What what is true? What's really going on? Debunking BS is 10 times the effort. Yeah, 10 times the effort. And so then you get this static and it creates all this just dissonance and just all this uh, frustration and stress. And, you know, you're like, what's because everybody, I think there's a lot of people like you brought up the pandemic. I mean, the division that that caused in the country, in families, in friends, and all that. It's just trying to figure out what side's up and what's right, what's wrong. So I think that's so true. Tell us what, when you came through that crucible moment, and you know, like you were saying earlier, you kind of hit rock bottom. What, when you came out the other side, what would you share with others that you know, grounded you and keeps you grounded today? I learned a lot of good lessons from my dad. He doesn't take a firm stance on anything. So if someone's like, the pandemic's not real, and someone would counter with, no, it is 100% real. You have now both painted yourself firmly into one corner of the room, 
And the odds of you having enough integrity to change your mind when presented with evidence that would contradict your position, most people don't do it. Most people would rather save their face. They're entrenched. If they have to accept this thing, it might unravel all the other stuff they know and who they are. Michigan State is better than U of M and like, how dare you? (laughs) Or the Ohio State is better than Ohio State University. The Sooners are better than Alabama. And like, (laughs) I'm going to have a whole state coming after me for really for for football. I live in Seattle and I have a signed football from Steve Young. Like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get entrenched. Don't commit to something until you have all the facts. And even then, we all have the same capabilities for good or for evil or for love or for acting out of fear. And most of the pandemic, people were operating out of fear, manifesting in different ways. People cover up fear with anger. Other people cover up fear with withdrawal, fight or flight. Some people get violent. Some people get verbally violent. Some people like to go on Twitter. It's all fear response. Here's the thing for me now that changed a lot was I'm not supposed to be here today. If I had my way, I would be dead. I was early adopting into Bitcoin. So I probably spent 10,000 Bitcoins on drugs on the Silk Road, which current value is $200 million. I don't know anyone who spent more money on drugs, but I win. (laughs) You won. (laughs) But I'm also not as scared about, there's a thing that's called post-traumatic growth where you start seeing life differently. Instead of seeing things, you start seeing relationships with people as more important. You find a connection to a bigger cause like higher power. Some people take DMT or do other things. The Joe Rogan experience. Like I would kill to be on that show just to pick his brain. As an individual and as an interviewer, the guy, he seems very non-threatened by other people's beliefs. You could say, I'm a vegan. He goes, good for you. He goes, I like meat. And they're like, you shouldn't eat meat. And he goes, no, 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 that's not how this works. I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict. I don't drink, but I keep alcohol in my home for guests because it's not a temptation for me. It's a liquid, but it's also a poison. I have bleach and I have simple green and those are all liquids. I also don't like broccoli, but I'm not going to stop you from ordering it in the restaurant. Unless you order it steamed, and then we might need to have a conversation. That's interesting, the clarity. You have great clarity around that. And it sounds like you are truly, you just have a completely different vision now. And I love what you said of post-traumatic growth. I've never heard that. I've always heard of PTSD, but I've never heard of post-traumatic growth. I love that. I didn't hear it until recently. There's some cool diagrams. If you look up on like Google Images, post-traumatic growth, there's all these areas of life that they talk about. And there's a couple of YouTube videos that are pretty good, but the five domains of post-traumatic growth are like personal strength, closer relationships, greater appreciation for life, new possibilities, spiritual development. And it talks about like how you were kind of before, like, for example, I cherish my husband more. 
You find out who your real friends are in a crisis. Your perspective changes. You start seeing the silver linings. I've become more empathetic towards people in pain and anybody in any kind of grief because I know it's the human experience. My mother died of cancer on my birthday. So I don't like my birthday and I just turned 40. So like, woo, yay. (laughs) I'm either halfway through a nice long life or I'm right at the end. One of the two. 40 is a doozy, just so you know. I mean, that was, that was. I've hated birthdays for four years since she passed away. I now get why people are sad to lose a loved one. And so when someone says I lost my parent, it's not like, oh, I don't know what to say. I know what to do now. I don't have to pretend that I don't relate. I usually go and go to Barnes and Noble and buy a notebook and buy some nice pens and give them to somebody to journal. Because I heard about someone doing that for someone else. I think it was Burt Kreischer on a podcast. I think it was him and Louis C.K. Grief, being able to express it and write it down and how important that is. And giving someone an ability to take an action step when there is no real action step. When you have to sit in a feeling that just sucks. You have to stay home because the government said so. And that's powerless. That's hopeless. But if you can see the bigger picture and you can find a way to get a better perspective, your life will be better. And I'm not saying to trivialize other people's trauma. Like there are some really horrible things that happen to people every single day, but that's part of the social contract of being alive because we can't stop people from doing things. There's nothing stopping me from booking a train or a bus and coming over and punching someone in the head unexpectedly. There's consequences for sure, but you can't prevent it if you don't know it's coming. Yeah, I think that's so good, though, because the way you've, you frame that up is just when you go through, and it's like what you were describing, when you went through this crucible, you came out the other side, and instead of being bitter, you looked at it as an opportunity to grow, and it just shifted your perspective. So at that point in time, you're saying, you're saying like, I'm more empathetic now to certain you know, people that's experiencing grief or my, I value relationships more than I used to, and I'm investing more in them. Oh, I wish I could claim that it was like that immediately, but it wasn't. It was, I got into a relationship and I treated her badly and we both treated each other pretty badly. But if you had to score it, I was worse. That ended a relationship. We probably shouldn't have been together, but that hurt. Like relationships ending hurt me. It feels worse than almost everything else. Like my kid missing, that was, that was up there. Losing somebody who's a friend or a loved one or a partner, man, that just sucks. And I don't know why I I feel like I'm more sensitive to that than other people, but maybe I'm not. Maybe there are other people who go, oh, yeah, me too. In every circumstance, like, oh, I have a problem with alcohol, and people go, yeah, me too. Or when I'm lonely at night, I download Tinder or re-download Tinder and pretend that it's only like three or four times, when in reality, it was like every other day for five years. And then you just swipe, not to meet people, but sometimes it's just to keep the boredom. Just to think that maybe someone finds you attractive and maybe there's hope that you'll find somebody to be with so you won't be lonely anymore. And in reality, you can shortcut that by finding a group of friends to connect with and talk to. I love that because it's so nuanced and we are big at Think, Move, Thrive and the last 10% on routines and winning routines and changing routines. Because if I can make a small change in a routine, I get really big results. For example, like what you just said, 
it's real easy to go one of two directions. I can start feeling sorry for myself. I can start seeing all the things I don't have. I can start letting my mind run to places that are just unhealthy. It's my perspective. So it may or may not be real. It may or may not be close to reality, but it's my perspective. And I just let that or I can change a small routine. I can pick up the phone and like the old game show, I can phone a friend. I can have a meaningful conversation, pick out three things I'm going to tell them that I'm proud of them, thankful for them, or I can take out a gratitude journal. You check on somebody else. And I tell you what, if you're stuck in your head on something and you call a friend and they're going through something and you listen and you really listen, you will forget all about whatever it is you were dealing with. And it gives you a moment to get your head out of the water and stop drowning. Helping somebody else is magic. It's as close to instant relief from emotional pain that I can think of. It works better than drugs. <laughs> drugs don't require like helping people move. Like people like, hey, can you help me move? And be like, oh, dude, I'm 40. Dude, get a mover. You've got a job. Like hire movers. Man. Right, right, Jesus. right. But listening to somebody who's going through a divorce, you could ignore it. We can pretend that somebody else has got that. But if your boss is going through it, call. Don't text. Call. Check on them. Be that bold guy who actually makes a phone call instead of, hey, man, how are you? Yeah, texting is easy. It's low risk. It's low commitment. But the phone call means you give a crap. All your attention is focused on them. I think that you've just summed it up really nicely. And this is what I'd like to challenge our listeners. If you are leading an organization, leading a team, if you are working on a team or in an organization, you've just heard a man who was a former Marine who literally wiretapped the FBI and Secret Service, who has rescued his daughter from trafficking. You've heard him be very vulnerable and open about going through a crucible and not being for so long, not being able and willing to ask for help. And then coming out the other side, saying the thing, some of the things that helped him the most was connecting with other people. You need to be that person for your team. You need to be that person for your organization. So don't be afraid. If he's challenging us to do that, and he's challenging us to step forward. I'd like to challenge and encourage you to do that as well. Take the time to build connections. Don't just think it's somebody else's role. It's going to help you as much or more than it helps them. And the second thing is, don't be afraid to ask for help. It comes down to one resistant point, ego. My ego won't let me show vulnerability or let people know that I care because they're going to see that I'm weak. Or if I cry in front of my friends, they're going to think I'm a They're going to call me names that are derogatory in that way. High school and middle school and places are brutal. You wear the wrong colored shirt and you are made fun of forever. And that needs to stop. It is garbage. It is not worthwhile. It does not serve anybody. It doesn't help anybody. And it traumatizes people forever. Real men are not afraid to show their emotions. Joe Rogan is in amazing shape. He'll cry on the podcast. I think he talks about it when people are going through and getting some really good thing happening. He's really happy for them. That's when he cries. He loves his kids. Be curious. Your ego will build a wall around you to protect you and not let new information in because it's a threat. But it really isn't. You're just as vulnerable of a pink meat sack as you were 10 minutes ago. A bus could come in right now and hit me, and I've said everything I've ever needed to say to my father and my children and every friend that I care about. They all know how I feel. I have nothing left unsaid. 
I don't want the bus to come. Like, please, no bus. Ego will kill you. The advice I got from General Jim Mattis, I got the chance to meet him. The last thing he said to me, he is the most service-oriented, humble, unassuming person I've ever met. I was a corporal in E-4 in the Marine Corps, and he was an officer. He was a general, four stars, in the Marine Corps longer than I've been alive. And he pulled my chair out. He tried to make me coffee. It would have killed me. All of his attention. And the last thing he said was, if you make it famous, you keep your ego in check. Your ego will get you killed. Your ego will prevent you from learning new information. It'll prevent you from being kind. It'll prevent you from being of service. It has no use. It's an illusion. It's a lie. The fame is bullshit. That's amazing. That's the man on top. He is the most well-read military commander of the most powerful military organization in all of human civilization. And he is polite and kind. I swear to God. I said, he's like, where are you going after this? And I said, I'm actually going to try and go meet up with Steve Young. I had a speech with him. I met him. I had some advice for him. He lives a few minutes from here. And he goes, who's that? (laughs) He's on SportsCenter. He's an NFL quarterback. He was a Hall of Fame. 2005 that it says on this football. And he goes, I've never owned a TV. He spends his time writing letters to killed in action families and serving and speaking at organizations and calling families because the Marine Corps was his kids. And then it became all veterans and all military service members when he became the secretary. I asked him, do you prefer secretary or general? And he goes, when President Washington was no longer president, he preferred to be called general because he earned that. General Mattis is a living legend. Some of the memes about him are the funniest things you've ever heard. General Mattis donates blood every month, but never his own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you know, here's the guy. I mean, that's just salt of the earth, man. He is, he's got no time to watch TV because he's so busy giving and helping others. No interest. It's a higher order, man. He's just living in on a different plane. And I'm sure that That was not the advice that one would expect to get from the leader of one of the most powerful military forces in human history to say the first thing out of his mouth that he's going to give you an advice is check your ego out the door. You know, it's going to get you in trouble. Well, that was one of the last things he said. The first thing he was just asking me about stuff. And like he actually took advice from me on public speaking. He's like, who do you look up to in public speaking? And what do you because I need to get better at it. And I've been doing it longer in terms of how many speeches and stuff. But I look at his speeches. I'm like. Wow. (laughs) He's willing to listen to advice from anyone, even though everyone who has a big ego would think he doesn't need to take from anybody. But he does. He takes all input and listens and responds appropriately. Let's talk about this. We always close out the show by asking the guest to tell us someone they would like to hear on the last 10%. And you gave an interesting suggestion. Who is this person that you would like to hear on the last 10%? Grace Tame. She is Australia's person of the year 2021. Unbelievable woman, activist, survivor of... She was groomed as a 14, 15-year-old by some 58-year-old teacher and raped for over a year. And he went to prison. 
And due to the laws in the country where she was living, the victims were always identified as Jane or John Doe. So she was never able to tell her story. And then he started, he got out of prison and going on social media and saying, well, you should have seen what she was wearing. She was a slut. This little wanted it, like that kind of thing. And getting people siding with him and making threats, she just wrote a book. This is one of the most brave, courageous, fierce people I've ever met. And I've had the privilege of being able to be introduced to her through a friend, which is a whole other story. But she is a brilliant artist. She spoke like 180 times last year. She's a really kick-ass and funny human being. Man, that's awesome. Well, we'll have to go after and see if we can get Miss Grace on the show. It sounds like it'd be a great episode, so that would be awesome. I'll happily make an introduction offline. Great. That's awesome. Brian, it has been a fantastic time today. Tell us on closing out, tell us where people can find more information about you or how they can reach you if they want to get in touch with you for speaking engagements or anything like that. Uh, you can go to brianseely.com, B-R-Y-A-N-S-E-E-L-Y.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter as Brian the Maps Guy. That's B-R-Y-A-N. <laughs> I got, I picked that name and, well, it's, I'm stuck with it now. There's a couple other Brian Seeleys with the same spelling. Like one is like a lawyer for the Major League Baseball Association. And so like every so often I get notified that I tweeted something about Major League Baseball. I'm like, I don't care. Like, that's not me. Uh, Twitter. LinkedIn, absolutely reach out if you have questions, brianseeley.com. I'm not promoting anything particularly at the moment. When I have the new book come out, I will absolutely be begging, borrowing, and trying to find any way possible to sell you a book. Absolutely. Well, let us know when you're done and when it comes out, and we'll be happy to have you back on the show because it will be definitely be interesting conversation. Keep us posted, man. We'll uh, we'll definitely do that. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Brian, for being with us on The Last 10%. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.